0: We're recording the podcast over the next few weeks at Sixes Cricket Club. If you haven't heard about Sixes, Sixes Cricket Club is the new cricket-themed social entertainment venue with a restaurant, bar and cricket nets. Sixes have clubhouses in Fulham, Fitzrovia and a third venue opening up in Manchester on August 29th. The Wizard team have come here before and had a thoroughly enjoyable afternoon out so I couldn't recommend it any higher. Anyway, on with the show. I'm Yasra, and today we've got a slightly different panel to usual. Ben Gardner's off hosting duties. We've got friend of the show, CrickViz analyst Ben Jones, with us, as well as ender Felix White, who has a new book out later this week. It's always summer somewhere. We'll be talking about that later in the show. I've watched very little cricket in my week off, so you guys are going to have to do even more of the heavy lifting than usual. We'll start with the big news of the week. Ben Stokes is taking an indefinite break from the game with immediate effect. Managing Director of England Men's Cricket, Ashley Giles, said Ben has showed tremendous courage to open up about his feelings and well-being. Our primary focus has always been and will continue to be the mental health and welfare of all of our people. The demands on our athletes to prepare and play elite sports are relentless in a typical environment, but the ongoing pandemic has acutely compounded this. Spending significant amounts of time away from family with minimal freedoms is extremely challenging. The cumulative effect of operating almost continuously in these environments over the last 16 months has had a major impact on everyone's well-being. Ben will be given as long as he needs and we look forward to seeing him play cricket for England in the future. Ben, Giles to the challenges of the last 16 months in that statement, but with a schedule that awaits England's all format players and the schedules they've had for the last 16 months, this is almost inevitable.
1: Yeah, well, because it was interesting because this this news broke just after the pod we recorded the pod last week and on that show we discussed the fact that the IPL had been uh scheduled for five or six days after the England test finish and then to finish two days before the T20 World Cup starts like no- nothing nothing gets cancelled these days everything gets postponed pushed down the line and you know we, kn- we know these environments are unsustainable but basically they've been like they'll in a way they'll sort of have all the noises about you know players can say when they're feeling not, you know when they're not feeling great and they can uh uh, you know, that be as understanding as possible. Uh, but the actual things that could properly make a difference to you know how long these players are going to be able to play for, and and that sort of thing is the is just playing less cricket, and that's not what's what's happening or what's going to happen. So yeah, it was inevitable. Uh, but it is it, it is good that Stokes has been able to feel that he can say this and can drop out on the eve of a, of a big series. That that is a, a, a step forward, I suppose. But it's the causes of it are. Uh, I don't think going to get fixed anytime soon,
0: I think. Mm. In, in a statement, Giles said, our primary focus has always been and will continue to be the mental health and welfare of all our people. And I kind of agree with you. If that really was the case, you wouldn't schedule quite as much cricket as it has been. I remember particularly that South Africa series last year, um, kind of squeezing off the IPL before a really long tour to Asia, kind of felt like slightly unnecessary. Um, Felix, you're obviously close to one member of the England squad. Um, do, you, do you think the public have that accurate an understanding of just how hard it is living in bubbles, team environments, well, et cetera, in time of COVID? It's an interesting point. And
2: I, I actually think maybe they do. I think the response that I've seen everywhere has been like 100% forgiving of the situation. And I think that's a, that would be very different, for example, from what happened with Michael Yardy even, or Triscoffy even a few years ago. So I think actually, I think people, I think the public generally do. I haven't heard one voice saying things you would have done a few years ago, like he's bottled it or whatever, all that kind of stuff. So I did prob- possibly do. Um, I don't know if that's how. I haven't actually read the statement of what it, what he said. Is it is it a family thing, or he wants to be at home, or? Was...
1: It, it, I think it was un, uh, uh, unspecific. I think it said to prioritize his mental well being. But and they, and they all spoke of him wanting to uh, rest his left finger, which I think has inj- as recovered as it would like after being broken. And I guess those two things can feed into each other. I guess if you are feeling a bit like if if you're mentally not a hundred percent for whatever reason, and, you, and you're also they're not fully confident in your body's ability, then that's two things that are going to affect like th- those two things that feed into each I guess. Yeah, I thought that was quite an interesting angle to it all, because
3: um, you don't want to speculate too much on what's going on behind the scenes, but I saw a few people, no, as, as Felix said, very few people were critical of Stokes's decision, but I saw a few people maybe questioning the fact that they'd almost thrown in the idea of his finger being injured as well to like just double things down a little bit, to be like, well, he's not feeling great and he's a little bit injured, but I think you're right, is that actually, for a professional athlete, your uh, your mental health is linked intrinsically to your body and to how you can perform and do your job and we all know what it's like in any walk of life professionally if you're not at your peak doing your job then that creates knock-on effects and yeah they are they are clearly linked so getting stoked back physically well is obviously tied to getting back mentally ready to go and go and play cricket when, whenever for whoever wherever in the world and whether that's while the pandemic's ongoing and we're still living in bubbles, or whether it's after that. Maybe he won't feel that he's comfortable coming back into that environment until things have changed. And personally, I I can understand that completely. I've not had to do any bubbling. And I know people who have speak about it very differently to those who are looking from the outside. And whilst there is clearly that public uh, affection for Stokes and kind of trust that he's, he's not bottling it, and there's an understanding about mental health that I think we've all gained and improved upon in the last few years, it's quite hard to... It, I, I think it's, it's quite a nice reflection of where English cricket is that we're, we're okay to say, yeah, our best player, just go and take your time. Go and take that time away. And sometimes it takes these big events for us to realise how far we've come in terms of the conversation. We can all, you know, hypothetically witter on about, well, you know, we're all doing, we're all much more understanding. But like, yeah, Ben Stokes decided he doesn't want to play for England for a summer. And everyone's gone, yeah, that's that's all right. That's mm. fine. You and do I, that.
0: And I know you guys talked about it on last week's show about the, the possibility Of players pulling out of the ashes, but I was speaking to someone last week who was in a bubble um, and it really, A, it's really difficult, but I, I don't think I really understood how difficult it is now that society's actually opening up last summer when no one could do anything. I think it was slightly less taxing in a way than it is now when you come out and, you know, you come out for a couple of weeks and everyone's, you know, everyone's kind of gone back to their normal lives. Being stuck there, not being able to see your family for such a long time is just really, really difficult.
3: I think we all feel a bit like that as well. It's like, it's a different challenge, not nothing to do with cricket, but like when it was, you know, we're all in this together and everyone's doing the same thing all over the world. It, feel, it feels one thing and it's a different challenge when you're seeing different people in different situations acting differently. So yeah, hopefully gets back to full fitness and full mental wellbeing as soon as possible from a cricket point of view. But also I'm glad that he feels able to take, take that decision and take th- as
2: long as he needs. I think that's the point that Ben's made there. I've, I've had it just completely non-cricket related where now we've come out of lockdown, even if I've gone to see friends or been playing like really low level club cricket, when I'm walking around the corner, I think, I don't think I want to do this actually I don't want to be here and there's something in your body like from the sort of traumatised year and a half we've had that's telling you that when I've turned up and said it to people everyone's like I'm exactly the same and so if you put on top of that playing for England in test matches I think the general consensus will be that everyone completely understands
0: 100% Ben from a cricketing point of view the test series does start this week Ben Stokes' absence is is enormous for the for the series. How, how firstly, how, how do you think England will go about trying to replace Stokes in the eleven?
1: Well, there is just one thing on that that I think is linked to the discussion of how the ECB have handled that and just overall uh, how they look after their players, I suppose. Which is that they deserve credit for how they've handled the Stokes situation. But in well, in an ideal world there'd be no pandemic. Uh, but in a in a slightly more ideal world, it would be just Mo and Ali coming in and playing at number seven as the, you know, the, the, the world-class rounder that he is. And I think if you just, and the fact that, you know, England are depleted to this extent where, you know, Wokes and Stokes are both out. Mo'nali is fit, playing well in the 100, uh, but is not in that squad. I think it, that speaks quite a lot of uh, just, I mean, and maybe by by rights right now, he shouldn't be in that squad, but it speaks a lot for how it, the ECB and England have handled him over that time. I mean, if you look at the, the rest and rotation policy, which was Noble, which was uh, the... Uh, their sort of way to sort of to, to you know help prevent some of these issues uh the one player who they asked uh to sort of forego their period of agreed rest was Moen Ali and this was even after he had as he arrived in Sri Lanka tested positive for COVID-19 had to be ill in a hotel room uh, away from his family and everyone else for you know two weeks and then to return so I think that's that's a real shame as well that, that we've now got to this stage where it's just hard to see when Moen is going to be plenty of screen in, but from yeah haven't squad, answered my question from the squad they've selected <laughs> what I think they'll do I think it's a bit different to New Zealand series when they just didn't have any all rounds at all so that's why they had to have four bowlers and no leech I think and I hope they'll go with Sam Curran at seven and then four bowlers and then I guess you keeper at six Butler and uh probably Lawrence at number five if Pope is likely to be unfit or even if there's a bit of a doubt there they're close enough that I think they, that would be enough to add Lawrence ahead I guess is that is that the way you go Ben? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I've I've tried to, like, come up with
3: different, you know, different alternatives and try and be a bit clever about it. But I think that's pretty much the only option, is current at s- current at seven, Butler at six, and then four bowlers. You probably, it probably um, impresses Bonding on the importance of picking Ollie Robinson as a number eight who can really bat. Because I think if Chris Wokes was fit and available, he'd slot in. Perfect. Perfect. Um, but obviously the the Robinson debacle over the last few months. I think the ECB have just about dealt with it well enough that they can pick Robinson straight out the gate. They don't need to ease him back in. I think they can just pick him in the first test, and that's important. And then from there, I think I think we saw against New Zealand the issues with not picking a spinner. Personally, I think that England are able should be able to do it a bit more often given English conditions, and it shouldn't be a taboo idea not picking a specialist spinner at home. But I think given the given the current situation and given the, pr- the the batting fragility, I think you need to have as many different points to your attack as possible. So I think Leech drops in and then it's a case of resting and rotating, to, to use the phrase, um, the rest of the seamers. And I, and, I, and I think ideally you want you want Mark Wood probably playing j- just to give something different to the attack. I'm not Wood's biggest advocate as a Red Bull bowler at home, but if you're going to have Robinson and Curran and Anderson, you probably don't need an, a, like a fourth Overton-style bowler. You, need, you might need something, just a point of difference,
1: to go alongside Leach, the spinner. I, th- I think that there is a stage as well, because like, England will be tempted, I think, to go down there, because especially Stokes is more of a loss on the batting side than on the bowling side. So we I doubt, yeah. we'll, we'll be tempted to strengthen the, the batting department and then rely on that route, uh, Lawrence, for that, uh, that spinner role. But I think it's time that Jack, Jack Leach like deserves some reward basically for all the good work he's done in test cricket i mean he is a a very good test match bowler who's had a very good start to his his test career uh like the last time he played a home test he bowled england to a an ashes leveling victory and that was now nearly two years ago it's crazy that that's i mean there's, there's like been his the last test match
2: Yeah.
0: last, last, home, match to, in uh, england, last yeah. home test match was yeah that oval test match against the aussies wow 2019 so i was gonna
2: ask what's happened with jack like is, is he the frontline spinner still in terms of Everyone's thinking. I think it, I
3: think last summer it was a case of them investing in Bess and wanting to sure, yeah, make yeah. him as good a version of the cricketer that he is as possible. So having him bat at eight, helping balance out the side, recognising that that was going to be an issue going forward, particularly with rotating and stuff. But I don't think anyone in their right mind thinks that Jack Leach isn't a better bowler than uh, sure. than, yeah, yeah, than I, Bess. He's, he's so clearly the, the superior option. Whether I, Parkinson might even be a well, better option yeah. is yeah. a different him. conversation.
0: Uh, <laughs> I, was thinking, I think last summer when... Bess did okay, and then Stokes left uh, to go to New Zealand one test into the Pakistan series, and I think yeah. to balance the side out, it was quite hard to take Bess out because of his batting um I just sometimes I just feel with leach that he just doesn't get enough credit for what he does really well, so yeah yeah, bowling Australia out in the last day of a <laughs> test match. No, not many people do that. Decent, yeah. Decent. Uh, had a really good winter in India, obviously, um, but also like even when he took a six for against sorry in the county championship a few weeks ago, it's like I was going to say, that was a goes crazy, wasn't it? yeah. Everyone goes crazy when Ashwin does it the next day, but yeah, Leach right. did even better the day before. Yeah, there is probably um, a
3: technical argument that Leach is a better bowler in helpful conditions, um, and that's I, I don't think that's not to you know to criticise him. He, he's a fantastic bowler in helpful conditions because he's so methodical and he's so accurate and he just doesn't bowl any bad balls. But he doesn't do a tremendous amount through the air. He does most of his work off the pitch. And that was, I think, why they were so keen on best, was because, particularly with a view to Australia, that actually you need to do things through the air. You need a bit of drift, a bit of dip. And Leach is a bit more, he'll do you off the pitch. I think they'll be encouraged by the fact that the weather's been so outrageously hot that actually English pitches, they've talked about wanting to prepare for the ashes and create these hard, batting-friendly tracks that might actually suit Leach a bit better because if it's going to break up, it's going to spin a little bit more. There's a bit more of an opportunity for him to, to come to the party. But I mean, I I just think that England, given the situation they're in and the fact that they're going to be without Wokes, they're going to be without Archer, they're going to be without Stone, their group of seamers is depleted. So you need to be relying on a spinner to play throughout. So I think going in with the New Zealand balance of four seamers and, and Root being the spinner, I think that would be,
1: you know, going up a dark alley. I think this is also an Indian team that's not... Uh in a way that's got the stereotypical strengths of an Indian batting lineup where actually I think a lot of them are better against pace and against spin and Leach had he almost had the word over Pajara in that series I think he got got him out more than any other spinner has in the series I think Brilliant. so I think I he averages ben. like 11 against him yeah and and, and and if you and you know yeah, I mean yeah <laughs> <for that. laughs> well but genuinely I mean if, if you can get Pajara, style. If you can get Pajara early that is a huge inroad into that batting. because they they bat around him to more than any other team bats around one in world well, cricket I think really uh, so, yeah, I think that, that's another reason why a specialist spinner and probably leeches is, is a must, I think. All the, all the right handers as well. Um, yeah, exactly. Can
2: I just quickly, just like listening to you guys talk, it's made me realise I I think this is the summer, that I thought as little about the test series coming up yeah. as any summer in English cricket. Just even hearing you guys talk about that, I've realised that I don't even know what the England team is. And it feels like I haven't even heard a conversation about what this test team is going to be. Next week, up in the run into this, is has that struck any of you? Like, like there's I
3: saw some. I saw. I think it was Lawrence Booth uh, tweeted about it, saying that it, this feels like the most it, the atteries that snuck up on us yeah, more yeah, than yeah. any other. I think that's partly most obviously to do with the hundred because yeah. that's clearly a big event that is happening that is distracting everyone sure. but I think it's also due to this there was that false start to the summer with the test series against New Zealand where it was like right. well it's not the full strength team yeah, yeah so yeah. it's like well, Stokes isn't there but it's not there Moe's not there so it's like it felt a bit like we're kind of getting through that and then it was the world test championship and it's like yeah right into the 100 so I, th- I think I, I think it's definitely something I've felt mean, from a professional point of view, I've had to do quite a lot of work over the weekend <laughs> that I probably should have done about 10 <laughs> days ago because it's suddenly been like, oh, Christ, yeah, that's ne- that's next yes, week, so which is not something you normally think about like I think yeah. test of the In summer. In a
0: normal test summer, there's more momentum. I mean, the, the New Zealand series was literally two months ago. Um, there's normally not that kind of gap between test series. Uh, and the World Test Championship was, was ages ago as well. Um, there's been... Uh, one or two rounds of the county championship, and I think one yeah, way in right. which a test series gets hype is when someone gets runs in the county championship, sure. and you're like, Oh, Hamid's got runs, or whatever, sure, sure, and you sure. end up talking about it a little bit more. Yeah, and that was what um, the, the warm
3: up yeah. game did exactly, but, which exactly. but, but that shows that you yeah. yeah, that was, yeah, one game, and that's given it the kick that need exactly. it needed, um, exactly. I think that,
2: that's it's interesting to it will be interesting to see how that spills onto the pitch because if you take what happened in the winter. You had a feeling at the end of that series that this was going to be, there's going to be quite a lot of ill feeling in this series, actually. And it wasn't going to be like the charitable in any sense at all. And I think if we hadn't had the stuff that's happened in the interim, there would have been a lot of hype and anticipation about the two, the matchups between these players. and So, so it's going to be interesting to see if that's carried through. Do you know what I mean? Whether they pick that back up again. It's also,
3: I think, partly because maybe it's those key markers that we look for in terms of kick-starting a, the hype for a series but like India have been here for ages yeah <laughs> they, they've yeah, been right. in like you know they've been watching the watching Wimbledon been at the Euros <laughs> like they've been doing the full yeah. like old style test tour yeah, where they've brilliant. been away from home for a long time of and so Bible. but like that thing of like seeing like R- Virat Kohli has landed in England that was ages ago that's yeah. that's not a thing and that's so I think all the, all those little cues but I, yeah I think I think you're right that that there was that sense in, in the winter of like these two sides, it's not they they really hate each other or anything. I don't think there's that kind of level of animosity, but like that was a, a it was a grubby series that felt a bit it felt a bit rough. I loved it, it was great, it was really entertaining, but like it felt like the kind of thing where it's like, Well, we'll get you back to England and we're gonna do you. And actually it was like, Well, suddenly we're like, Oh yeah, it's that, is it? We're remembering the narratives in a way that normally we spend two months building up to them and Yeah,
2: and I think the other interesting point is that everyone when it got announced we're going to do back-to-back series we, we we're all saying that's going to just we're going to be so bored of it by the by the time they come to England but I don't think that's going to be the case yeah maybe at all I don't think there is going to be any element of like we had those back-to-back ashes and it was just done by the, by the second return tour
3: I think what I mean maybe we, this is moving on to the next bit but I think what could uh, kind of bring back that ill feeling is that I think England could really take a pasting in this series right yeah i think this could be a, a bit of a watershed moment for english test cricket because india are in really good shape they've not played a lot of cricket but like they're a really they're a really really good side and ba- they're basically the same side that came in 2018 and got no luck for an entire summer and england were quite good then england have got a lot worse and india have probably got a bit better and you can't see Sam Curran having the series that he had. You can't see conditions being quite the same as they had. In 2018, you had that extreme seam, condi- seam movement. it's like the most ever recorded in England. We're not going to have that again, because that was a bit of a freak. We're going to see the ball swing, probably. This batch of dukes seem to be swinging a bit more than seaming. So the conditions are going to be a bit different. But I think what we let's not beat about the bush India are really good and England are not very good in- England can't really bat and India have a lot of very very good bowlers just because ja- uh, Jadeja and Ashwin are bowling you know at Trent Bridge rather than in Chennai they're still going to be a real handful and I think I- I- if I was if I was England the Stokes dropping it out dropping out has tipped it for me I thought England would have won 3-2 maybe 2-1 with a couple of draws or whatever if Stokes had played but he's the, su- the guy that balances the side and he's their best batsman you take that out I think, England, I, I think yeah. England are in a really worrying place. Not, not, not to like be overly emotional about it, but I just mean like from a practical point of view, you look at it and you're like, I can't see how they compete.
0: Yeah, the only thing I say to that is, obviously the Indian batting lineup is full of massive names, but there are a lot of guys in there who haven't actually got that many runs in, in, in the last two years. You know, Kind of Pant Sharma aside, really. No one's really been consistent. And then, you know, we'll see what the pitch is like. But if it does swing quite a lot, you'd back... Robinson, Broad, Anderson, Wood, Overton to make life quite difficult for them. So I think it could be a oh, really yeah, low-scoring series. But then what about Shami, Siraj, yeah, exactly. Bumrah yeah, yeah. against
3: you know a bunch of English English batsmen who are out of Nick and haven't made a run for ages.
0: I think Wokes missing the first two tests is huge. Yeah. With, if, with Stokes not there, I think he'd, he'd, he could be the kind of guy who could could possibly make up for, for So's absence. Especially but. the Lord's test where yeah. he averages something like 60 with a bat and under 20 with a ball. The psychological hold. Yeah. That,
1: we
3: talk about Curran having that from 2018 yeah. but like yeah that, that woke's game. Yeah. Just get him back there. They should, uh, they should, they should make him
1: fit, make him be fit <laughs> for that. Just you know weekend at Bernie's style just get him out of there. I think a weird amount depends on Rory Burns from an English point of view for this series in that like Root R- R- obviously is the one that you look at that line and think like he's the one that's got to have a huge series but his home record in basically last since he took the captaincy or just the summer after the captaincy is just not it's not it's not elite basically he average about 30 whereas his, his away average about 50 in that time so that's the big drop off whereas burns is so he's had a bit of an up and down time but he looks now kind of in his bout as good a form as he's or at least before the big break had a, looked as uh his form was as good as it kind of ever been and he's always but he's always been that player who kind of gets 80s pretty consistently like but but, but doesn't like yeah, even for Surrey he wasn't like getting hundreds all the time he was like getting a thousand runs a season averaging about 40 but doing that by like consistently getting which whereas this series I think he needs to if he can dominate it. and he has the skill to and he's like he's got the form to if he can have a huge series and that's obviously huge for England and for him as well because he's what going to turn 31 during the series and is uh, like you don't it's obviously lost form a few times been, has lost his place and been close to losing his place before I don't think you get too many more chances this is kind of a A huge summer for him I think I'm I'm not gonna be I'm I'm, I'm gonna say something which I I already slightly regret
3: but um, (laughs) it's my catchphrase Um, but given how the next six months could go the next eight months could go it's not out of the question that England need a new test captain in January Mm. and the captain of Surrey for the last five years who's probably the most secure batsman in the side might suddenly look like quite an appealing option. I know this, there was a bit of murmuring around that a while ago. but yeah, I feel last
0: like last time it's I one said that, he then went on a run. Well, well, you don't say it, and
3: I'll say it, and I'll take responsibility. But I think that's that's not out of the question, that actually. if he I, Personally, I don't think he'll make any runs in Australia, but <laughs> if he does well this summer, in conditions which are familiar to him, I, I can see him sudden, suddenly, that, that narrative starts to take place, and we mm. all get a
2: little bit excited. Because if Root doesn't make runs, you know. Can I ask another question? How many runless tests do Sibley and Burns need to go through for Hamid to be playing in this series? Oh,
0: oh. Uh, what a question! Uh, I think two. Th- so, I'm gonna say. So Ben and I were talking about this on the tube here. We're 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 nerds as we talk about <laughs> every time, time as other well. Over <laughs> um, so I think I think with Hamid it's really interesting. Uh, he was I think he was in the squad very much as a backup top order batsman. Sure. I do think the hundred against India changes things when the man who's currently number three, Zach Crawley. Uh, has really struggled in Red Bull cricket, not just for England, but also for Kent in the County Championship. Um, He's got quite a big sample size of first-class cricket, and Mm -hmm. it doesn't suggest that this is a guy who's going to be a regular run scorer right now in Test cricket. Uh, I think his best chance of success is, weirdly, in Australia. I do think if he has a really difficult series, then he becomes unpickable for the Australia series. So I think it's a really big question as to... Change your question slightly. How many tests does Crawley not need to get many runs where you start for you to then say, let's get Hamid in at three, a position which he has struggled in when he had his really difficult year at Lancashire. He He batted three three for a lot of it and really, really struggled. When
3: he knows done. And he has
0: basically had no success in his career at number three. So then asking someone who's had uh, a really weird, difficult career, he's still only 24, to ask... Him to bat against yeah. that India attack in England at number three. I'm not sure that's that fair either. But then, who the hell else <laughs> is there if course. these out?
3: To, to actually answer Felix's question, how many runless tests? I don't think. I think Burns. It would be five, six. I don't sure. think he's, he's not getting dropped. But if Sibley has two ropey tests, yeah, just the nature of being an opener against that Indian attack, you can be exposed four times very quickly, yeah. and, it, and you can be all of a sudden in all sorts. And I think at that point, Hamid. Becomes a really compelling option, particularly because of the rhythm. I know that Hamid's not as much of a blocker as people made him out to be when he first came through, but like, you bring him through as like a, he's essentially playing the similar role of the guy who's just going to see off the new ball. I think that's. That's probably his route into the side. But yeah, I mean, we were saying on the tube the idea that Crawley, part of the reason why he's being given so much rope is because no one else wants to bat three. Literally, no one else in England is a number three, apart from James Bracey. They brought him in and he was seemingly a laughing stock for playing, you know, two tests against the world number one attack and he struggled. Guess what? He's a good player, but I hope he comes back at some point. But I think that's that's the issue is that the most obvious route into the side is number three, right? Get Hamid in there. We'd all like to see him. But do you want to be triggering a guy who
1: really struggled in that role and it's clearly had a quite a roller coaster over the last two years. Yeah. I think one thing with Sibley is that for, he has sli- he has less credit in the bank than Burns, but also if he does struggle, he'll kind of look so bad while struggling that people right, will then yeah. end up drawing yeah. sort of conclusions around that. They'll be like, oh he's never going to score runs with this technique, which is true even when he does score runs, is what it looks like, but sure. he somehow does. Uh, I personally would pick Hamid at three for the first test. I think the the, the Crawley thing, I think I think yes. it, I think this, this is a symptom actually of the disjointed summer that we've talked about. Because at the end of that test series against New Zealand, he was unselectable. Like his feet were going nowhere. He was like he was like he was, wasn't playing. Crawley, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, he wasn't. That's what I said. It's not like you to criticised Crawley, yeah. But, well, <laughs> that's the thing. but 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 like he, he he was like playing with like absolutely no conviction. and it looked it looked as much meant as it did technical. But neither looked hugely good. And like all that's happened since then is that time has passed. Really, he's got like a, a few runs in white ball cricket. Doesn't have a, any red ball runs to speak of. Like there's there's no reason really to think that like that those issues have, have disappeared. Like, all that's had, like maybe England will give him one test because, like, maybe it's just a, a bit of time away and some white runs that he needed. And, and they, they really like him, and I can see why. Maybe that is what they'll do. But I personally, because I think Hamid is more likely to make runs in the first test than Crawley is. So that's yeah. why I pick Hamid, basically. What do you think keep, about
0: keep... Hamid at three? given he's not really back there and when he has batted there, he has struggled.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think his struggles were because he was batting at three. I think he was just in awful form. I I think, yeah, I I mean, and as much as it's difficult, it's tough to ask him to see that, I can see also from like a team balance point of view that that is then a, a top three, all of whom sort of take their time to get set and you can easily end up at t Sort of like if, like, like you know, 100 for two. Exactly. <laughs> or if you, if you lose all three just here, you, you're 100 for three and then all of a sudden you're 185 at the end of the day and actually you've all day, not got many runs, and then you're, you're struggling a little bit. So I, I, I can see that argument as well. Uh, but, I, but I still, so yeah, I, I know it's not ideal. And I personally would have had Darrell Milan in this squad just to, uh, I mean, I know he hasn't played a huge amount of Rebel cricket, but I think that, again, if you're looking at the guys most likely to make runs in that top order, I think it would have been him. Uh, but uh, with the squad they've got, that top three for me is the one that is going to most reliably setting in the platform.
3: I know exactly what you mean about that kind of one pace top three. That is, it is an issue in some respects, but I also think that everything works a, a hell of a lot better if roots making runs and roots in form because then suddenly the amplifying effect of that top three. Yeah, fine, be a hundred whatever for, t- for a t. Just make sure you get through. See the see the first forty overs off, and then we'll. We'll let Root come in against the spinners and dominate. I, I did some... I'm writing something on Root at the moment, um, probably for you guys. Um, since the start of 2019 at home, Root averages 31, but specifically averages 12 against good length balls in that time. It's not very much. It's not very much. It's, it's not as bad as it sounds, but it's, it's really bad. I think what Root has really struggled with in the last few years is just keeping out good deliveries. If India bowl well... I'm not sure he's good enough in these conditions in his current iteration with his technique to to uh, to kind of to keep them out and to dominate. So the best thing you can do is just try and keep them away from the dangerous periods. And I spoke to a few people a while ago about when when there was a vacancy in the top order about opening the bat in, whether or not do we push Root back up to the top. That's where he came through. And he said if I and it was when when he was batting four and, and they said well if I was uh, if I was looking at Joe Root right now I'd want to move him down not moving up. And in a functioning England side right now, Joe Root, bats number five <laughs> because that's where he's, he can be busy against the spinners. He's not having to face the swinging ball. He's not having to kind of negotiate those tough periods. So the benefit of having that stodgy top order is that you could get the best out of your now best batsman. And I don't think that, I think that's a reasonable trade-off. I, I, I'm, ha- I'm happy to see Slow, boring cricket for three mm-hmm. hours if
1: it then means we get to see a good Joe Root for a bit. So to be clear, you also want me to bat at three in the first test.
3: Yeah, I should probably say that as well. Shouldn't I? Yeah, I think I probably would pick him. Sorry, Rob Key. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would pick him over Crawley.
0: It would be an amazing story, though, mm.
3: as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> we just all want it to um, happen. Don't we? It's something of just like we talk already for long enough, and we're like, yeah, we're all going to pick him. Aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> we all want
1: yeah. yeah, but to be honest, like. I mean, I, I, I obviously, I want Hamid to have a long and fruitful test career, as everyone who has a brain wants. Uh, <laughs> but like, like the the, the 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 main hesitation for me is is the effect it could have on him. Could like, finish him off? Yeah, possibly. And I mean, Mark Butcher actually said a really good thing on the pod last week, basically saying that like, look, this is test cricket; it's hard. There's no perfect, easy time to make your test debut, and that's not the point of of it. Like, you you, you pick your best team, and then if if they can't handle that's kind of that, that tells you that tells you what you need to know essentially and i kind of do buy that but actually i'm not i'm not clamoring for hamid because i want Hamid to play as soon as possible like in an ideal world you would be letting him play this summer i mean not in the can championship but playing whatever's available and then like letting him get properly back into form and be like have loads of runs under his belt uh but knees must I
0: think.
3: making a ton against the indian attack is probably the best preparation you could have exactly. given yeah. the cricket he's been allowed to play
2: yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, series predictions, Felix. Oh, you, I'm but. just
2: suddenly really excited about the whole thing. I have not yeah, thought go. about <laughs> it at all
0: until this conversation. I just realised
2: I'm buzzing about it. All. <laughs> um, what I think is going to happen? Um, I well, I can't predicting that. I can't predict anything other than England win. Can I, given my relationship with uh, <laughs> England's greatest ever fast bowler? Five nil then. I'm going to say five. <laughs> Felix mcgrath yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. Um, ben, I, I was going three to England before Stokes' injury, but I'm not anymore. I I think, it, yeah, I'm, I'm g- optimistic.
3: I'm going to say three to India, okay. with the caveat that I think if they win the first, if India win the first test, um, it it could go one way quite quickly. But I think England will probably start reasonably well. I, I think maybe if it's one all after two tests, especially at Lords, India have struggled there recently. I think there's an argument that if England can get on top, then the pressures of touring will take their toll on India. And it's like a, been a long, horrible tour, and it, especially by the end of end of August, yeah. end of September, Christ, it's, given, it's such a long, such a long series. So yeah, I think
1: narrow India win, but it, it could it could
3: get worse quite
1: quickly. I would actually expect expect India to start stronger, given that they've had the Red Bull practice leading into it, whereas the English players have been off playing ODIs and T20s and the hundred and all that, uh, and also when if 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 Wokes returns from the third installment, that is huge for him because he is like. I mean, maybe without Stokes, he's possibly their best player at home. Um, so if, if if Wokes is back in that side, that could make a big difference. I still think I'll go to all, I guess, just to, to make it... Um... Where's the draw coming from?
2: The, the one thing we also say is that I don't think there's been a top six back in the summer in England that have been so defined, have such uh, responsibilities and roles, like really clear roles as the Indian top six. And I think we haven't seen a test team like that for a very long time, actually, back in England. So just for that alone how we deal with them and just seeing them bat every week, I think it's going to be a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Because we don't get it often, do we? When teams tour, there's always three and four, not the here, blah, blah, blah. but they're so set in stone, aren't they? And they're so different in what they mm. add to the side, I think. And they're already just like legends of the game. So I yeah. think just them being in front of us, every week is just something to really look forward to. It reminds me a little bit, you're talking about earlier, how grooved they are and how kind of they know, all know
3: their roles. And obviously a few injury doubts, but basically they all know what they're going to do. It reminds me a bit of, you know, when Australia had that period where they only ever lost very, very, very occasionally at home, like last 15 years. But actually, if you looked at when the world number one visited Australia, they normally won. So it was like when England went out there in 1011, when South Africa went out there a few years later. Yeah. When good sides went to Australia, they won. And whilst we talk about England's record at home, they've not always played... That rarely have sides been arriving at the right time in a cycle. And we've seen that New Zealand arrive at the right time in a cycle and they batter England. You know, if you can batter someone 1 0, but they did. I think India are maybe at that point where, like, they are just everyone knows their role. There's a, the selection debates are the selection debates they have every single time. It's like, do we pick Siraj or Ishan? You know, do we go Jadeja at seven? They know everything about their team. It's just whether or not the individual players can can you know define the legacy by standing up on this occasion,
1: which I I, I think they will. I think I think they're too good for England. The the, the one thing that I uh, that I would say just from a, uh, a hope <laughs> if, if you're a hopeful English fan listening to this and getting a bit downbeat, <laughs> the one thing is is that Jasper Boomer's form has not been as all-conquering as it was before. He had a I think it was a back injury at one stage, and he's come back from that and not been quite the same force. Now you know that that could be temporary. This might be the the series that gets them back into it but that's a little something to cling on to that maybe there are just like that, that there are there are although you can look at the names in that Indian lineup and you're right it's it's it's, it's almost akin to when it was like a you know say wag dravid like that, yeah it? uh that, but there are just slight chinks that you can just cling on to just hope that it's not going to be a an absolute thrashing
0: coley's not got many in a while yeah <laughs> <laughs> um before we uh, go on the show, a quick word for one of our sponsors, pantsandsocks.com. As I'm sure you can guess, pantsandsocks.com sells, sells men's underwear. It stocks all the leading designer brands from Calvin Klein to Hugo Boss from Ralph Lauren to Ted Baker. And more importantly, the site is currently offering 25% off all orders as well as free delivery on orders over £40. So if you're listening to this wearing saggy, slightly faded underwear, get yourself to pantsandsocks.com and treat yourself to some fresh, well-fitting designer underwear. Chocolate oranges are available at i <laughs> am <and Sims. laughs>
2: always struck by how well you deliver those adverts, Yaz. Yes. It's because I really believe in them. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real joy to see in the flesh. Personally, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely astonished
3: that we just went from talking about Rishabh Pants and you didn't make a, li- a, li- a link there. That's,
0: yeah. that's, a, that's damning. Um, anyway, the 100 the rages on. I'll kind of run through what's happened the last few days since the last um, show. There was an absolute thriller at Laws last night to Miles Mills and Chris Jordan clawing Southern Brave back into a game that seemed lost against London Spirit at Laws. elsewhere in the men's comp. The kids did the business for Birmingham Phoenix against the Trent Rockets. Kiwi Finn Allen blasted a 23-ball 43. And then 19-year-old Somerset batsman Will Smead hit a 13-ball 36. Which is pretty cool. Uh, the Oval Invincibles are no longer invincible. They succumb to a lovely little innings from Harry Brook, who is enjoying somewhat of a breakout summer in white ball cricket. He's a leading run scorer in the men's competition so far. Joe Clark with the star of the show in Manchester's win over Welsh Fire, and James Vince hit 60 in a tight run chase for the Southern Brave against Birmingham. In the women's comp, Southern Brave are the only side with a 100% record. Amanda Jade Wellington took four for 14 against London Spirit in a very straightforward victory at Lords. Heather Graham blasted a quick fire 44 in a win for Trent Rockets over Birmingham. The Superchargers squeezed home by four runs against Oval. 16-year-old Alice Capsey took two for nine off the of 20 balls to go with a half-century early in the competition. Uh, and there were half centuries from Hayley Matthews and Danny White in wins for the Welsh Fire and Southern Brave. Um, ben, your moment of the week is from the hundred. Yeah, it was from um,
3: Southern Braves win last night, or what? I can't remember. Was it last night? Yes, yeah. last night. Yeah, it, every it's on every day. Who knows? Um, but it was from uh, from the final knockings of that innings as, as Southern managed to somehow squeeze it. You know, invoking the spirit of Middlesex for letting spirit collapse around them. But Tamal Mills managing to basically single-handedly win a game bowling the penultimate over or penultimate set um, of the game um, and then allowing Chris Jordan to come in and, and take all the glory by defending 11 off the last over um, I just think it, it's exactly what Tamal Mills needs to get into the England World Cup side so I tweeted it at the time but like Tamal Mills just single-handedly won a game against Owen Morgan in a white ball contest bowling at the death improbably securing victory if he doesn't get in the squad now He's never going to get in the squad. I just think that the way he's going about his business in this tournament, I'm a big fan of his anyway, and so I probably didn't need much persuading, but he's bowling really quickly, and he's nailing his Yorkers, which is a new addition to his armory. He didn't used to bowl Yorkers. That was his whole thing. He normally just bowled back of a length into the pitch. The fact that he's still doing that, but adding in Yorkers as well, I just think it makes him a really versatile option. You've got you know the left arm, left armless, the pace, and the fact that he can bowl in different ways, different pitches. You know, I, I wouldn't, I'm wouldn't. i no longer scared of him rocking up at Sharjah and just getting absolutely distraught. Destroyed because people just pick him up over the short boundary. I think he's versatile enough now, and, and I think uh, a lot depends on his fitness, obviously, because he's he is fragile. But if he's if they think he's fit enough to go,
1: and thus be in a squad and be relied to be part of the group, then I think he plays. I think it's just interesting that because obviously that was alongside Chris Jordan, who is the uh, I guess the may, maybe maybe not in a squad, but in the eleven the most likely player to miss out. And then if, if you're missing out of the eleven, then you're building a squad, and it's such a small squad, is a difficult thing to do. And I think that because we, we also saw in, in that game, Chris Jordan offer, that was a brilliant run out that he did. And I think he brings so much to the, uh, uh, just to the group as sort of like a leader in that thing. I mean, we, we, I was discussing a piece with, uh, actually with Cameron Ponsonby, who's been doing a bit of work with us recently. Uh, and he, we, we almost wanted his head on it like Chris Jordan Henderson for the, uh, for the impact <laughs> that Jordan Henderson had for England's like, the England squad in the year 2020. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's lovely. Because of, uh, cause Chris, cause Chris Jordan couldn't bring that. And that is an important thing in a, in a global tournament. So that is the, uh, I do think that if you're picking a, an 11 Based on uh, on form, Chris Jordan, uh, Tamar Mills gets into it, but no, there are these other <laughs> considerations, particularly
3: but. the context in which this going to be played. Like the group environment is massive. <laughs> you don't. I'm, I personally would still take Jordan, like regardless of whether I think he's in. I don't think he's in the first choice eleven, but because uh, I think Tamar should be. But Jordan offers so much and covers enough bases as well. And yeah, like I say, he's li- he's literally the best T twenty fielder in the world by like every metric. <laughs> like, why would you? You know, if you can take an expanded squad. You know, there's room for a Jordan.
0: Felix, we have, We've had quite a few questions about the hundred. People are still obviously talking about it, especially on, on Twitter. Um, Nick Look Beale. Just Nick Beale asks it. "Just what are your impressions of what's worked well and not worked well in the hundred so far? How have um, you enjoyed the competition?" So
2: well, far? yeah, I don't know. I'm slightly cross-eyed by just all the conversation about whether it's good or bad. To be honest, as we all are, but I was at the um, I was at the first game, the women's game, and I was really struck. I was in the crowd. And I was really struck by the fact it was not an atmosphere I'd experienced at cricket before other than the Women's World Cup final at Lords, which isn't a coincidence. And I really, it, like in that ground, in that moment, I was really into it. I really understood it. I really felt um, like it was a really comfortable, lovely atmosphere. And I've, I feel like we are missing that in cricket games, actually, a little bit. And just seeing loads of young girls celebrating and really engaged in the cricket... I was I was really excited about it and the next day from home I watched the men's game and I f- I felt like it kind of worked. I felt like I under having like been slightly semi-mocking about it in the build up. I thought the way that you read the runs and wickets and stuff like that I did understand how that can be a little bit more computable. And especially with my girlfriend as well we were watching some of the women's games at home. It was very interesting to see how she engages with the women's games in a different way than when she's watched all the men's cricket with me where she just glazes over she was actually asking like oh what's happening here and she was sort of getting into the game in a different way so i think just for that reason alone i think that's good enough but it's really worked in one sense for 100 i like most short form cricket by now i don't know what's going on anymore i haven't been paying that attention to. but it's the same with t20 cricket like, apart from a world cup Sort of lose track of who's winning and who's losing. And I think everyone's a little bit like that, probably from the outside. I think there isn't that focus on like what are the standings in the groups and all that no, kind of thing. What does Southern Brave need to do to qualify? I don't, don't think it, yeah. anyone, is other than like really inside the world, are, are, are that fussed about that. But knowing you can turn the TV on and there's cricket there happening and it's good cricket because cricket like that always is good. I mean, you can't really argue with it, even if that was even if, if those were the reasons or not that it was put together in the first place, you can't really argue that it's, it's a cool thing, I think. Mm.
0: No, 100 percent, 100 percent. Benz, I wanted to ask you kind of what you thought about some of the law changes we've had for the 100, so in particular, five ball overs, uh, 10, over, uh, 10, 10 balls at one end. Uh, what, what do you think that the impact of those has had? If at all, do you like them? Would you like to see them in other T20 competitions? Well, I think from a, from a cricket
1: nerd point of view, I quite like them in that way. Like, so, this is more something that interests someone who would follow a lot of T20 cricket and be like, and, and in a way you almost don't want them to go into lots of other tournaments because you like each one having their own sort of slight differences and that sort of thing. I think what you've seen with, I think the, I think it's the 10 ball overs in particular rather than the, the, the reducing to five is batsmen getting stranded off strike. And then, uh, uh, so you get... Players like nearly batting through an innings and having not faced very many balls, and then sometimes you get them, like I think Jason Roy innings. I think they might have lost it, but he was able to sort of smash out right at the end, having like struggled up to that point. Uh, and that is interesting and fun to watch. And I think you just like differences, basically, because as Felix says, these can these things can all just m- sort of meld into one. So if you can get something that makes it a little bit more different, then that's uh, that's good. I mean, the, the one it's not a rule change from the Blast, but it's different to other T Twenty leagues around the world is the uh, the fielding the fielder having to come in uh, when there's a uh a they time, don't make the time cut yeah when they, when they don't make the over eight which i think is a i don't know if they call it over eight they don't make the time cut off um and that i mean it's it's interesting it's good because it makes teams rush around but it's also just really interesting when it happens and you can get like huge swings to a batting side at that point and that's just great and interesting to watch as well i don't know if these things are exactly keeping people uh, bringing new people in but i also don't think that everything about it needs to do that i think that like it, it the, the 10 ball overs brings new people in because it makes it a bit quicker and uh as does the time cut off rule and then if it also happens to appeal to sort of the you know the the, the t20 purists if you like then that's a good thing too i guess
2: Can I just, on that on that point quickly it's interesting how it inf- has inf- infiltrated my head because i played a game of cricket yesterday like club cricket 30 overs I'm really low level. Some people can't play at all. Some people are proper. And I was, we we're fielding for like what I felt like six hours, like running from point to point type thing. And I did halfway through, I did think to myself, this would be a lot better actually <laughs> if we weren't doing this every 30 seconds. And I, I, would, I would never, I would I hated myself having that thought before this came across. But I was actually thinking that, that it, this would just be a much more manageable social situation if we were just doing 10 there 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 i sort of hate myself for saying that but it did just pop into my head for a second so it'll be interesting to see how it filters down like if at club cricket people start actually playing it um and just realize it kind of works in, a, in an easy you know what i mean in a more well we play way.
3: when you play last man stands um that's 100 balls and that's kind of kind of similar it's not quite the right, same yeah. but you don't you don't play all the same rules and it obviously it's quicker because it's shorter i think one thing that you could do to kind of go against what I normally say, if you wanted to just tweak the blast and you wanted to go that is you could just make them bowl 10 overs from one end and 10 overs from the other. And that would have the same effect in yeah. terms of quick, quicking the game up. To be honest, I don't think you really need to quick the blast up. It's already really quick because of the cutoff rule. I think I think that's, that's, you know, there's lots of different ways around that. Basically, just make, reducing the number of times where people have to run from one end of the ground to the other. That's obviously just a practical thing, which makes sense. What I do really like about the five ball overs and the ten ball overs, um, and I think it's something which I wouldn't be surprised if other leagues did adopt, is the the uh, one bowler consecu- bowling two overs consecutively, whether it's five balls or six balls or whatever. But the opportunity to like for that for the captain to almost stick or twist. I think that's a really nice little dramatic moment that happens every single you know every, every single stage of the innings. You get twenty of those moments in innings where it's like. Okay, does Owen Morgan, you know, or, or does um, Lewis Gregory bowl Rashid Khan out now, or does he? Go, and actually, the opportunity for him
2: to just really double down and increase the pressure. You know I think, think that's, I think
3: that's massive. I think yeah. that's been
2: really exciting. Then that made me think of just when I mean, you said that. Let me think about baseball, where you want to get a reliever picture on, and you've got to work out is he too tired or do we go one more like with him and that's a really really like huge facet of baseball that actually makes it really interesting
3: and actually people are, yeah and, and it's, it's, it's a good example because people often use baseball as the example of just like oh why t20 cricket is rubbish they're just whacking it it's like rounders but actually like these sports are nuanced as well so like just because it's shorter format and there's more sixes you still need to pay attention I, and I, I what i really liked as well is that i've you know i've gone through the numbers a little bit and there's actually not there's no consistent pattern yet as to like if you bowl another five, the bowler dominates, or you bowl another five, the batsman don- dominates, or the batter dominates. You don't. There is no kind of clear advantage that's come through yet, which is good, because if it had gone in one way, they would have been like, okay, well, this rule is skewing things too far the other way. Which I know Yaz is about to say. That, no, that, that but, but I think, that I think that that num- that's, inter- that's
0: interesting that numbers say that. I I felt watching it, so I really like the new rules from um, kind of piquing my interest. I, I've enjoyed kind of wondering how different tactics different captains are going to negotiate the new rules. Um, But one thing just from like the marketability of the tournament, I kind of thought that um, five ball overs and ten balls at each end slightly tipped things in the favour of a bowler in that, I I, I don't know if the numbers back this up, I almost feel that the sixth ball of an over is the most likely to go for six in in a T20 game. Um, and that if you if you if you have a spinner bowling ten balls against a couple of batsmen who aren't great against spinners, for example, that can change things. The thing about batsmen being stranded on strike, Crawley basically carried his bat and only faced forty out of hundred balls um, last weekend. So that that I all, all I think basically is that for a new tournament, you want it to be as run friendly as possible. I just think that new fans are going to enjoy one eighty versus one eighty more than one forty against one forty. But from an actual cricketing point of view, I think it's been fine and actually been something that gives regular cricket fans something new to be interested in i just wonder what new cricket fans will do be you do you,
2: do you like all you guys are just interested to see how you feel like because obviously everyone's got their stance and publicly saying things but do you feel like in people that are actually inside cricket watch every day are, are people feeling like oh it kind of works or is it still completely split and
3: i think i think this the divisions are still there right i think partly it's because a lot of the um a lot of the journalists and media people who are extremely against it have essentially like taken the hot taken the the, the week off or taken a couple of weeks off because they're pr- almost protesting it so i think right. the anti coverage has naturally fallen away a little bit and i don't think that's necessarily because the feeling's fallen away i think yeah, it's the, i think it's yeah. just because practically these people aren't yeah. on the desk but i also think that it was it's it's obviously just so much easier to get people on board with really good cricket matches than it is with the idea of really good cricket matches sure. we're like oh yeah it's going to be really good soon on orion's going to be bowling to such and such and it's going to be amazing and it's, it's going to be full crowds and it's going to be you know mums and kids and it's really it's going to be really fun and a different vibe and a different feel tell people that and they're like yeah well maybe come back in a, in, in a year suddenly when it's actually happening i think the people who are on the fence or people who just aren't even like on the spectrum of the debate just sure. slightly removed from it like yourself yeah. to an extent yeah it's like yeah, I, I can go with this a lot more easily than just having to like pick a side and pick a tribe and be like, I'm pro hundred, I'm anti hundred. It's like I'm pro cricket. I just yeah. like watching cricket on a, like, on Friday night. And yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter what the format. Yeah. is. Yeah,
0: I'd also say that most of the people who are against the competition still thought the cricket would be great. They still think they still exactly, thought that yeah. people yeah. would watch it. I think it's more about. I know there are some. some I, I, I disagree. There, there there are there are some people who. who I, but I think it's a minority that actually thought the cricket was going to be bad, and the tournament was sure, actually. Yeah. But I think it's more about the impact having a different eight-team based competition in the middle of the summer, what that has on the county championship, yeah, yeah, the county st- structure, the test team, etc. Got you. Um, and none of that's think, changed. So. Yeah, and that none of that's changed. And, and to be honest, you won't really see the really bad and they exactly. Won't change exactly, their opinion and, on that. and you won't really see the long-term effects of this. I mean, the long-term effects. I don't think you see the effects of this. Possibly for quite a long time, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
2: yeah, got you.
1: I, I would just say one thing about the... Uh, uh, what you were saying about, about low-scoring games versus high-scoring games. I think, I think the thing that makes a cricket tournament succeed is that the, the games are good, basically. And the games have been good so far. And I think sometimes you can take uh, a bit of... You, you, you can accept a bit of extra complication, like in the Big Bash with the power surge rule, uh, or... Like uh, if, if it brings like an extra benefit, basically. So people talking about like the, the 10 balls at one end, that, that is an extra complication, but it brings an extra benefit in that it makes the games a bit quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, bowling 10 balls in a row is a bit of an extra complication, but if it creates moments of drama and moments of tension, I think that's a good thing. And I think that that is, I mean, that it's one of those things that you can only see, and you, you probably, because you might have just been lucky so far to get as many close games as there's been. Uh, but I think we're going to see at the end of the tournament, if, if there have been like as many close finishes or they keep having the same ratios as they do now I think then that's that has to be seen as a success as of the rules that they've chosen I guess
3: One last thing because Yaz is going purple in the face I one thing I've, I I really was pro about before the tournament, and it's something I think about with all these leagues, whether it's the IPL, the CP, or whatever. The thing, one of the things that is fundamentally really good about them is that is the the idea of scarcity, the idea that there's one game a day or two games a day, and you can watch every game, and you can't do that with the Blast. And Ben's written very eloquently in the past about the idea of like the you know like super um, like Gillette Soccer Saturday, but for the Blast, and the idea of that's trying to add some narrative to a tournament where you've got constant games. But I think that we've seen these examples of like players who just would have gone under the radar. Like Harry Brook is not an incredible example because he's obviously going to be a star and everyone knew he was going to be a star because of the way he's played in age group cricket. But suddenly everyone's watched Harry Brook bat three or four times on live TV. They've seen him whack a sick. It's not on a live stream. It's not on a fixed camera. It's with all the, it's with the commentators. It's with Kevin Peterson. It's with Michael Afton commentating over him. I think that's, that's not necessarily part of the, the that's not necessarily a pro of the 100 per se but these tournaments more generally they create these moments and I said when we spoke before the series uh, before the tournament I, we, you asked me what would constitute success and I said if you have 5 or 6 moments across the, series, across the summer which are like proper water cooler moments and we've had a couple already we've had Brooke destroying, destroying him up at headingly we've had um, Benjamin Benjamin, like, on, yeah, within the first couple of Capsie. days. capsey was a, is a great example. Uh, Rodriguez. We've also had the Hales versus Stokes thing. That was such, yeah. th- that could have, that could, that game could have happened in the blast. No question. You know, not so, you know, pretty good at T20 cricket. But it didn't happen as the only game that was on a Monday night where everyone's tuning in. You don't get that, you don't get those narratives circling. I, yeah, I, I think for that exact reason, I think it's already a tick in the box. There, there are flaws. And as you say, the, those flaws aren't going away. But I think it's delivered on what it promised to. Um, probably in a positive and negative sense.
0: Mm. Um, I'm just going to run through the other news uh, from the world game in the last week before we get to to Felix's book. Um, Australia and Bangladesh are set to meet for the first time in a bilateral T20 series tomorrow um, with their four previous matches. Have only ever been in T20 World Cups? In the Royal London One Day Cup, Nick Gubbins scored 131 and then took four for 38 with his part-time leg spin, having only ever taken one professional wicket before for Hampshire against Sussex.
1: Ben, what's your moment of the week? Uh, my, my moment of the week, uh, it was a, a weird moment because with press releases from Sri Lanka, they always take like kind of a while to so sort of come into your inbox. Often they go into your spam and you see like someone tweet, but sometimes it's like you're trying to work out if it's like, generally true or not and there's a lot of reports that circle like this kind of thing so I sort of sort of saw some tweets and was like no that can't be true and then went and like looked through my spam folder and was like oh that is true so the, uh, the three cricketers who sort of broke the biosecure protocols that's Danishka, uh, Gunatilaka, Neera and Kasal Mendes on their tour of England have been banned for a year from, uh, from playing English cricket and with another year <laughs> suspended. <laughs> uh, which is, which is, I mean, when you consider—it's a bit harsh, isn't it? I mean, when you consider the sort of the furore and the out, the uprate, uh, uh the uproar and the outrage that was at Jofra Archer, sort of going home for 20 minutes during the, the test last time, and he and he missed a test match, yeah. and that was the outcome of that. To miss a whole year—that is absolutely enormous. That's that's like—what is it? All cricket? Uh, yeah. So it's oh, also they've, they've been all banned from cricket. domestic cricket for six months and from international cricket for a year. Yeah, it's.
0: It's, it's almost it's the definition amazing. of draconian, isn't it? Yeah. It's, just like it's like, and I mean, just I mean, a bit harsh, isn't it? It is, it
1: is a bit harsh. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I mean that you know, for, there's a, there, are there going to be two World Cups in that time, or at least one? Uh, it's, it's yeah, not not good for Sri Lanka's chances as well when they when they kind of need all the players they can get. Uh, I mean, because I was t- talking to someone who had a a Sri Lankan overseas pro at their club uh, this summer, and they were sort of like saying like. You must be pretty close just getting emergency <laughs> call up <out laughs> at this point.
0: <laughs> anyway, moving on, uh, Felix. You have a you have a book out. This I week. do,
2: which you suggested should be my moment of the week. But then I thought that might be deeply egotistical for my book. And yeah, here we are. And here we and are. Yeah, here <laughs> we are. But I might, might just make clear that it is not my moment okay. of the week.
0: Okay. Okay. I've not said mine, so it can be my moment oh, of yes, the week. Okay. Right. Um, <laughs> Thank you, mate. So the tagline is a matter of life in cricket. Um, when you when you started writing it what did you try and set out to do
2: uh yeah I, when I started writing this I started writing this a couple of years ago and the idea at the to begin with was as tailenders has started as has sort of ended up becoming by the way I'm very taken back to be on a cricket podcast that's actually about cricket because <laughs> ours is definitely not anymore but it ended up tailenders ended up being like all roads started to lead but lead back to me being like this is how it feels how cricket feeds into your life and this is how it feels and this is how it runs alongside mine so the idea of the book really at first was that I, I kind of imagined it as like high fidelity but using cricket as the thing rather than records so I would sort of stop off in, in a memoir style and at each moment where cricket had foreboded something about my life or articulated something I'd explain it and then meet the cricketer involved and then their recollection sort of spins the Story out, whichever way it goes. So the cricketers involved have been Phil Tufnell trying to get right, Alan Wells for when he walks off during his only Test match and says sorry into the lens of the camera. And I feel like as a twelve-year-old kid, he said sorry to me. And <laughs> um, so we like we, we go over that, and he like he says, yeah, that I was saying sorry, not to you, but to my children, and that kind of thing. Uh, who else? Is it? Chris Lewis, Adam Hollyoke, Atherton, Hussein, Kumar sangakara Josh Butler's in it, Simon Kerrigan. About his test, loads of cricket. I've, I've missed some as well. But so basically, I'm stopping at each moment and, uh, yeah, sort of using it as a parallel to whatever's going on in my life at that time. So it started that way. And then, um, as I got into it, basically, I just realized, as probably most people do when they start writing memoir style things, but it couldn't be completely flippant and it had, to, I had to go properly in. So it ended up becoming basically about my mum's illness and death when. I was 17 and how I've found ways to process the loss and then the repressed grief since. And so a lot of it was about how, how, why do we put love into the places we do? And it sort of, it kind of led back to the fact that I think it was very fortunate for me growing up in the 90s that England lost all the time. And so for a lot of men at that age to watch these alpha males processing their own loss constantly, I found some sort of comfort and familiarity in in it. And then obviously, as as things change, my life slightly changes. And then when when the ashes in Australia, eventually, I remember feeling completely sickened by it. and really angry because I felt like we had a deal where England (laughs) lost. I felt communal hurt in it. So I had, like, loads of inexplicable feelings at the time of, like, being like, no, 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 no. That's not a deal we have. And being angry at people that were celebrating it. So anyway, it's sort of an unpacking of that entire thing, yeah. really, yeah.
0: How, how did you find the writing process? Because it sounds like you've gone on a bit of a journey oh, man, of self Yeah, If, if
2: Ben will say writing, but pro- I, I found it um, most of the time horrible. Like, I was kind of, because you're just on your own writing it. And I sort of, I, I kidded myself that I was writing it just about, just to myself i didn't i wasn't sort of i was pretending to myself that no one was going to read this so there's loads of very personal stuff in here which now i feel even as i'm talking to you i want to run to that warehouse and burn all the books that are going to get sent to people next week um because of almost everything in my life into it um but how do i feel about it i feel the same way about uh, as cricket i don't enjoy playing cricket but i enjoy having played cricket and i think i'll probably feel the same about this book didn't necessarily enjoy all the writing of it, but in time, I think I'll feel good. But I have written it.
0: There's a there's a beautiful section about in the in the book about the Maccabees' last gig that's almost worth buying uh, just for that section alone. Um, and you you spent years in in a very successful band, and now you you work in cricket. So you've managed to work in two of your real passions. How, how did the pivot to, to cricket come around?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I've always loved really loved cricket. So cricket as probably everyone listening listens to this podcast will know is always on in some form in your life. It's always in the background. You're always sort of feeding into it in some way. So I've always really loved cricket. But interestingly, actually, um, when the Maccabees would get into their, like, you know, whatever, we getting more and more popular, a woman that worked at a label said, we need to find more ways to like PR your, your interests. So she's like, what do you like? I was like, I like cricket. And And anyway, she like basically over a three week period when I was very reluctant at first said you should do some cricket stuff and eventually um, Phil Walker from Wisdom came down to the studio and he did a piece about me loving cricket and I think he was on I don't think he had any questions prepared but on the flyer he was like what's your um, ultimate cricket 11 but they're all musicians so I'd like craft work opening the batting and I can't remember it was a bit of nonsense but anyway like that that was really fun and then Phil said to me you should write about cricket man like you should do that and I'd never really thought about it but it I started writing from hotel rooms on tour or whatever just Phil would ask me to write something for what was all out cricket at that time and I just write little bits and like it just felt like a natural thing to do and fine and then um yeah, I do have a lot to owe Phil because he he was always saying like you got to quit this music business man, you got to get into cricket writing. <laughs> and uh, but I didn't actually think that was actually going to happen and I have I'm not a cricket writer really. But um yeah, that's how it kind of seeded and then when the band did break up my I wrote a huge piece for what was all about cricket about what happens when cricket is retired because my first first thought had been meeting Kyle Hogg. Um when he was, he, he had just retired, having been player of the year for Lancashire when they won the county championship. And he was a music, he was becoming a music rep. And so he'd come into the Maccabees dressing room, loading beers into the fridge. And I was like, he was so familiar to me. I was like, sorry, mate, are you Kyle Hogg? And, we, <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, yeah, we had this chat and his career- Get that all been, the time. <laughs> yeah, and his career, yeah, exactly. Uh, his career had ended and he was entering his new life. So I thought about him when my band finished and I write this piece in conversation with loads of cricketers. And then from there, I don't know, I just sort of... Greg called me up and said, should we do a podcast with Jimmy? And I was like, that sounds fun. And then we we're here like three or four years later, I guess. So that, yeah. that literally is as simple as that. It, it kind of was, yeah. Well, I remember
3: reading that piece and I'm thinking, this is really good. And I, I basically have exactly the same um, kind of relationship with it. I started reading it, I was like, oh, this is... This is Felix. He can't. No, it, no, he can't be that Felix. Because I was a Maccabees ultra as a teenager. <laughs> yeah, you tell me that. And so, and I was just reading. And I was like, yeah, okay. Well, that hangs together. I was like, he's suddenly infringing on my my other interest now. He's like, he's kind of been coming in. But like, the tail end of stuff is is so cool because it occupies such. It has such a fan base and like such a such a warmth from the people who love it, and like. If I ever chat to people who like cricket or like someone will say, Oh, you know, this is Benny, works works in cricket, and I'll start, you know, name dropping, trying to impress them, saying the people that I've met, and I'll be like, Yeah, I met Shane Warne, and they're like, you know, oh yeah, cool, 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 I'm my and then I'll be like, Oh yeah, met Felix a few times. Oh what from the from the uh, from Tell yeah. <laughs> and suddenly it's like I've got them got them in part of my hand. Because I think for people who, as you say, have that relationship with cricket all the time and it's not necessarily that they're like in the ins and outs of like every single game, every single play, but like it's part of them. I think Tailenders is like a, a real, a real way in for that kind of relationship with the game. I, mean, I, I don't know. I, it's something to do with the warmth of it. I, I know we're not, I know we're not talking about Tailenders, talking about the book, but like, I think it all lays into that idea of cricket. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a separate thing. It's part of your life. It's kind of built yeah. into your, the way you process and exactly feel. That. Exactly. That's
2: completely, right. that's really nice of you to you say, Ben. That's, that's exactly that. And I think that's what most cricket lovers know, that feeling of like, and and Jimmy talks about it on the podcast where he'll walk over a crack in the pavement and his foot will be over line and he'll go, that's a no ball. <laughs> <laughs> or like, all that kind of thing. Or like, I'll have walking across the road, if a bus goes past me really fast, I'll sort of, in my head for a second, I'll be dodging out of the way like it's, a, I've just nudged out, <laughs> got out of the way of a fastball and get ready again. And it's that kind of thing, how cricket just runs through everything. So Taylor has become a sort of, I think it's credit to Jimmy really, because he's been willing to, discuss all that stuff really openly and and in an unguarded way and so it's been a channel through but everyone will be like oh i i do exactly what jimmy Anderson does you know and that's quite a nice sort of link between the two things i think yeah Yeah,
0: my my weird cricket thing is whenever a bus goes past and i request um when i I ask the bus to stop i always say no ball (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) oh what do you put your arm out i put my arm out like no ball
2: do you do this um, one as well? And it's all very crossing road. But I, I cross the road, and if there's a car, I go wait there. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my head as, as the car's
3: coming, and then run. My one is always that if I um, if I shadow bowl the ball, and I think it's not quite right, I have to bowl it again. <laughs> so like if I'm uh, yeah, it's yeah, drifting yeah. down, like I'm like, going oh, yeah, to yeah, no, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, have to re bowl yeah. that anyway. Yeah. So yeah. I think
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, this is a really niche favourite shadow batting shot, which I think is a, like avoiding a rising sort of good
2: length delivery. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Drop Get your head out the way. Yeah, well, 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 well
0: yeah just on tailenders again what why do you think it's become the phenomenon it is because there isn't really another phenomenon like it in english cricket yeah i, I mean think. i
2: don't I, 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 to be honest, when we first started doing tailenders i was amazed when they went out i thought that the bits that weren't the podcast were the stuff we were recording beforehand i didn't realize we were actually going to use like the chat so it's and i think that's part of something in that it's like it was so sort of um casual in a way and just like even I didn't realize what we were talking about and it's got like yeah I mean it's taken us down some really I think I've had to learn to not take not that I think I took myself too seriously before but the spicy incidents with Michael Vaughan um, was genuinely horrific at the time which I don't know if the listeners of this will know that all that stuff that happened. Anyone um, who's been
3: on Twitter will know. <laughs> will know that,
2: yeah. So I definitely had some like very weird vortexes, very surreal psychedelic things where um, I'm inside the cricket world, but not in the way that I wanted it to be at all. Um, but it's just kind of become part of the fun of it and we just sort of learned to sort of stitch it into the show really, yeah. Mm,
0: yeah. Amazing. Um, well, well, the book is out this week. Yeah, it's out. It's my moment of the
2: week. Oh, it's your
1: moment yeah, of the week. <laughs> my moment it's the week. It's out this week. It's out this, week. Yeah. It's yeah. Out this it's out, week. It's out the 5th of August, which is the same day that uh, Greg's released the vegan sausage cheese and bean melt, which is a, a big moment if you're a, if you're a vegan. So Massive I'm going to be eating that and getting grease all over. This is my <laughs> birthday. <book>, <think.
0: laughs> um, you, can, you can pre-order the book now at uh, wizen.com. <laughs> Forward's last shot sorry (laughs) I I completely
3: misunderstood that I was like Greg James is releasing (laughs) I
0: thought that as well I thought that as well anyway that is all we've got time for on today's show Uh, Ben thank you very much Felix great having you on Ben great having you on as always Um, this is the Wisdom Cricket weekly podcast if you enjoy the show tell your friends and we'll be back next week cheers